Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Greetings and welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. All you conversationalists, thrill seekers, and intellectuals all across the fruited plain of the Alpha Quadrant, welcome. I am your host, the Doctor of Dilithium, your anchor man to everything Star Trek, Jonathan Wiegand. Oh boy, so I mean, Christmas and the holidays seem kind of almost, we're, we're wrapping it up here a little bit, we just got through Christmas, we still have in the midst of some other holidays about to hit New Year's. I mean, hopefully everything is going great for you guys. It was away from work for a little bit. And I know we're in process now of taking all our decorations down. And I'm prepping for some um, family reunions and hangouts over New Year's Eve. And uh, family are friends that are family. Because you know what? In the words of the Fast and the Furious, family. We're, we're excited to, to hang out with some good old friends again. And over New Year's Eve, and I mean, speaking of New Year's Eve... I mean, everybody's always talking about Times Square celebration, and I got to be honest, I'm just really not impressed with it. Uh, to me, they always drop the ball. Hold for laughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, the New Year's uh, kind of celebration we're going to, there's going to be maybe a party and some dancing. And uh, unfortunately, I have two left feet, so I'm not a very good dancer. And it just makes it impossible for me to start the new year on the right foot. Pause for laughter, Luna. Pause for laughter. <laughs> okay, okay. So I've, I'm done with puns. Uh, I just wanted to get those two out there because I thought they were really good. Um, so we have a very fun episode today talking about the greatest mysteries in all of Star Trek and but before we get into that, I will say um, coming down the pike sometime in January, I wanted to put some feelers out there, see what you guys thought about this potential episode. And yeah, just let me know what you think. So over the course of the entire podcast and research, and it's led me down some rabbit holes. And, and there's one in particular with the relationship between Gene Roddenberry and L. Ron Hubbard. It's, and that's the dude who invented Scientology. So I might take a gander and a peeky poo at their relationship and kind of see what, you know, what that was all about. But please let me know what you think. And if you'd want to hear more, uh, because it's going to require a lot of effort and time. So before I did that, I just kind of wanted to reach out to you guys and see what you thought. So today, yes, mysteries, a eh? That's going to be the title. Just calling it now. So the word Star Trek and mysteries are not ones you usually see put right next to each other very often. Um... I mean, the show's writers tended to just wrap up all the narrative threads rather than just leaving them dangling. Usually, I mean, all the mysteries, quote unquote, in the show tended to be self-contained with a singular episode. I mean, yeah, there would be some times it would leave us hanging for like on a big like mid-season finale or season finale. For example, like Best of Both Worlds, Redemption, Scorpion, Chain of Commands. I mean, these are just some of the show's like traditional cliffhanging episodes that would make us wait, you know, a month or uh, a week or however long, maybe to the next season. But if you actually go back and look over the entire history of Star Trek, there are a few questions that remain kind of unanswered. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
Now, some of these mysteries, mysteries, eh? Sorry. (laughs) Are because the story being told really didn't require these loose threads and these open-ended questions to be tied up. But to me, I think they're simply too good not to revisit. And we're about to get it. So I have 10 of the biggest unanswered questions slash mysteries in all of Star Trek. All right, Luna, let's roll that beautiful bean footage. So right off the bat is a popular character. And and to me, it makes the most sense. So this is why it's number 10 and not number one. Um, And that's what happened to Ro Lauren. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's not very often that Star Trek kind of seems to forget about a character, but they did in this case. Um, and a lot of times, people when I hear like casual uh, fans of Star Trek, they be like, "Well, whatever happened to her?" Because it just seems like the producers just kind of forgot her, and we didn't really see much after her after Next Generation and joining the Enterprise's crew, and seemingly just kind of pissed everybody off on that ship. Um, but I mean, I, I really love that she finally did have a, um, harrowing redemption arc about a family in history and the war of the Cardassians. And then I think with, with deep space nine on the horizon and that whole story about focusing on the Bajoran Cardassian strife and the Federation, like being mediator almost and overseeing the DS nine, uh, station, maybe even Bajor's application into the Federation, it seemed almost tailor made for Ro Lauren to have a comeback, you know, to have an appearance on DS9. And and she just never did. Um, even Voyager's first few, first few episodes focused really heavily on the Federation um, Maquis relationship. And it was just nowhere to be seen in TNG and DS9. And and the main reason that we, we kind of never see her again in Star Trek is because from a real-life standpoint, actress uh, Michelle Forbes simply didn't want to return as the character. The show producers of DS9 tried really, really hard to get her back in, and they wrote an amazing part for her, which she turned down. And then eventually that part became what we know as of Kira Norris. Yes, very fun fact. So yes, from a narrative standpoint, she's still out there, and given her feelings towards the Cardassians and the Federation's complicated relationship with Maquis defectors. I mean, we probably won't ever know what happened to her in the Star Trek world. Maybe on a comic somewhere, IDW comic, we'll get maybe a story. But for right now, she's just kind of out in space. And um, it would be really fascinating, especially through the Dominion War and her stances on the Maquis and Bejo. I think I think it'd be really neat to see. So moving on to number nine. And again, before I preference this, I am not, I repeat, not going to ruin season two of Picard. There's a big, it's a very new show. Some people who listen to the show have told me, I don't, haven't watched the second season of Picard, so please don't ruin it for me. And I know it's been quite some time since it's come out, so I'll try to respect that. And with that, the number nine mystery kind of left unanswered instead even after Picard, we still have some left unanswered questions is Wesley and the Traveler. So young Wesley Crusher was the quintessential Starfleet officer. 
he was kind of bred to do it almost in a way, you know? So for almost the entire run of TNG, he was this just Starfleet officer in the making. Until just like one episode, he wasn't. And he just wasn't as super bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and so desperate to follow in Federation footsteps of his uh, mother and his late father. And so, a little backstory in case you didn't know, um, Wesley was actually giving acting ensign duties upon the Enterprise and looked all set to go and be at the Academy and, and, and come back a fully-fledged member of Starfleet. And, of course, things didn't go as planned. Uh, he came back, like I mentioned in that one episode, he comes back disillusioned with life in Starfleet. He kind of begins looking for some sort of way out. And then, lo and behold, bingo, bango, the opportunity arrived in this form of a traveler, a mysterious being who explores both time and space after taking a liking to young Wesley Crusher. And no, not like that. He, I think he compared him to like Mozart. He was like a prodigy. He was like, this kid is going to do something special. Like he is, we have, he has no choice. Like he has to do this. And this traveler offered to help him explore the universe in ways the Federation could only dream of. And they both promptly left the ship and TNG in the process. But then some nine years later, what Wesley Crusher was spotted at Riker and Troy's wedding, wearing a Starfleet uniform. So even what we know of Picard, there's still that mystery of like, okay, what the heck happened? <laughs> like between, you know, him leaving the ship and then the wedding, you know, did he, to me, it's like, so it was nine years in the Star Trek world in timeline from when he left TNG to the wedding. So what happened in those nine years? Um, why did he end his explorations with the traveler? Why did he rejoin Starfleet? What was it precisely about exploring both inner and outer space that just wasn't quite fulfilling. You know, it, it seemed like this was what, like the Traveler said, this is what he was meant to do. This is his prodigy. This is his limelight. You know, this is what he's supposed to do. And then he kind of goes to Starfleet. So I think that's an interesting story. Or, or even if it's like, again, with Ro Lauren, maybe a comic or something we could get to kind of answer these questions. And we kind of got a little bit of it in Picard. Mild spoilers not going to go much more into that but i will say um yes many questions and many mysteries left unsolved with wesley crusher so moving on to number eight and it sure looks great we're talking about the pegasus project so everybody out there loves a good conspiracy theory who doesn't i think we all have an uncle or an aunt who spent a little bit too much time looking at facebook memes if you know what i'm talking about and the Next Generation episode, quote-unquote, called Pegasus, presented us one of the best conspiracy theories in Star Trek. Besides, Wolf 359 was an inside job. But we will not talk about that slander on this podcast. <laughs> so, a little bit of a backstory. Uh, Commander Riker's former ship, the USS Pegasus, was conducting highly secretive, highly illegal tests on a phasing cloak device when things quite horribly, disastrously, brutally went wrong and hit rock bottom. <laughs> and you say, Jonathan, what makes you say that? And basically, so the Pegasus basically cloaked in some solid rock, which you don't want to do 
given that such device was strictly prohibited by the Federation slash Romulan Peace Treaty of Algeron, which made it illegal for the Federation to have any cloaking technology whatsoever. So, yes, it's super bad that it was done in secret, and then also it's a tragedy because half the ship is now in rock, and you have all those deaths to cover up. And the men responsible charged when the report was made, but since then we haven't heard nothing about any of that, and that leaves loads of questions and answers. Like, we know this was greenlit in secret by either the Federation Council or maybe Section 31, we know is given a Captain Pressman to test, but what happened to all of the men responsible? What happened to the Federation-Romulan relations as a result? Uh, what happened to the actual cloaking technology is itself is something we've never been told. Like, the Enterprise, at the end of the episode, proved it worked, and then it just was nothing. I mean, they managed to escape the asteroid field by using it, so surely there are implications for that in the future. <laughs> especially given the rocky relationship with the Romulans. So I just think it's funny that we had all of this secret conductive test where people died and, and that it was proven true by, you know, the Enterprise that it could work and it could be, you know, copied. And then all of a sudden we hear nothing about it ever again. I really doubt that even Section 31 would allow that technology just to be shelved and never touched again. So... I don't know, maybe we'll see something about it. Now, number seven, seventh greatest mystery or loose end in all of Star Trek is something I mentioned a couple weeks before, and it's about the warp speed limit. In the Next Generation episode, Force of Nature, um, the Federation are told the prolonged use of warp travel is beginning to tear the very fabric of space apart and that the damage may kind of be irreversible now. And obviously presented with such a trifling matter and an issue, the Federation Council makes the following statement, verbatim, the following statement. Until we can find a way to counteract the warp field effect, the Council feels our best course is to slow the damage as much as possible. Therefore, areas of space found sensitive to warp fields will be restricted to essential travel only. And effective immediately, all Federation vessels will be limited to a speed of warp five except in cases of extreme emergency well gosh darn dog howdy that sounds super official and important (laughs) yet from that episode onwards we see almost countless examples of federation vessels doing just whatever flipping warp speed they want and whatever they feel like it happens in next generation happens in deep space nine and by voyager it's just completely forgotten (laughs) Like I've said before at the beginning, a couple minutes ago, we did mention this on a few episodes back. And from that, uh, I had a really smart, intelligent person uh, comment to me, be like, hey, buddy, uh, this is kind of solved because Voyager's folding warp, you know, nacelles are designed to counteract that problem. I was like, okay, fair enough. That's that's fine. But the issue is that's an intrepid class starship. What about the thousands and thousands we've seen before? What about literally everything built prior to that? And I know we're building bigger ships than the Intrepid class. So a lot of mysteries left unanswered. Like, what about the past ships? What about the future current ships? Can we make big enough ships to go past Warp 5 
you know, who knows? I feel like it pushes us back to the Archer Enterprise days of, that's it, Warp 5. And talk about an advantage for all of our, and the Federation's enemies. The Klingons can do faster than that. The Borg, Romulans, everybody. So it's an extreme disadvantage. So maybe that's why it was completely forgotten about. So moving on, um, the next big mystery you have is V'ger. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, also called Voyager. <laughs> no, not the ship. So for a while, it was sort of taken um, and believed by many people in the Star Trek fandom that V'ger's origins and that kind of the mystery surrounded it were linked to the origins of the Borg. Because if, if for those of you who don't remember the movie, um, when the probe fell into the black hole and kind of found a race of machine people who made it one of their own and then sent it back, you know, um, that kind of does sound like early form of the collective. Like this race of machine people can alter technology, make it one of their own and then send it back out into the world. And however, this has been disproved a lot in Star Trek fandom. We know this, but another like put on my nerd glasses. Okay. So the Borg aren't technically a race of machine people. <laughs> um, they're cyborgs, hence the name Borg, cyborg. Anyway, um, the clues in the name. But that still leaves loads of V'ger origin questions still unanswered. So like, who is this mysterious race of machine people that the Voyager probe came across? And how were they able to reprogram it and learn all that is learnable? Yeah. And if there are species of entirely artificial life forms somewhere out there and Starfleet knows about them, would enough follow that they would move heaven and earth to try and locate them? I think they would. I mean, that could give us the idea that they think they've been given birth to a new life form when it merged with Deckers. Surely that could have been, I mean, entire seasons of television dedicated to exploring the questions that were raised in this film rather than simply, I don't know, just forgetting about them all. All right, moving on. We're, all, we're halfway there. Going on to number five, everybody's favorite, the whale probe. And not talking about Bachelor Weekend 2014. All right, I'll try to keep this one relatively brief. So we all know in Star Trek IV, uh, The Voyage Home, a large like cylinder probe um, that was so large it dwarfed starbases, starshiped, everything else kind of just arrived at earth and starts to ionize the oceans in an effort to contact humpback whale species. And then when it gets a callback from the whales, it just leaves. Okay. (laughs) So the thing from an unknown location, when it departed, headed to an unknown destination, it was unknown in origin, unknown in species, unknown in intent, just wanted to talk to some whales. And then when it did, It just left. (laughs) Now, why the heck did we not know more about this thing? And I think it fascinates a lot of people with the questions it raises. Like, are whales some part of, like, spacefaring civilization that we don't know or didn't realize? Is it ever coming back? Did it mean to damage the Earth while it was doing it? Like, trying to contact? Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? And who the heck made it? And what kind of species would design a spacefaring vessel in such a simple way. Now we know there are dolphins in Star Trek with the aquatics. And we see that in lower decks hilariously. Um, And of course we see aquatics part of the Zindi in enterprise, 
So there are a super smart race of amphibians and like water dwelling creatures. So it's not impossible that there's giant whales out there. And we're not talking about ex-girlfriends here. So it might be totally realistic that, you know, the whales are super smart, faring creatures, but we just don't know. And the question is, is this, that's why a lot of people consider it one of the worst movies because we just, it's just, okay. Like they've got the whale to call back and that was it. Who knows? But yeah. So a lot of questions still left unanswered. And moving on to the Nexus. So this is probably going to be something that's going to be played out in future Star Trek, and we'll get into that. Now, the Nexus, or at least the entry point to it, is a very destructive temporal energy wave that passes through our galaxy every 39.1 years. Now, in 2332, the Enterprise B was nearly crippled, attempting to save two refugee ships, from its clutches in 2371. And both Kirk and Picard emerged from it to save the 230 million strong population of Viridian 3 from it being completely wiped out by it. But then again, in 2410, it will return again. And that's just a little over 10 years from when Picard is set now. So given the potential implications of actually using anything that you could... I don't know, for examples, using like you could literally use the Nexus to jump to any point in time or space and affect the entire course of history. I mean, someone's going to have to deal with that. You know, if any Star Trek series ever gets made around, you know, 10 years from Picard. And that's very a big, big possibility. Maybe that's what season three of Picard's about. Could be. We don't know. But I think it's... Maybe some mysteries about the Nexus that we don't know. What's its true power? Where does it come from? And for a a show or a movie, who might be plotting to use it nefariously? Is that a rehash? Yeah. (laughs) But if it's done right, I think it would still be great to answer some of our questions about the Nexus. And I think there's a game on Apple that's actually, that's the whole game is like, um, I think it's like Starfleet Commander or something where you have a nexus and you have all the characters, you know, from all across history and you just go through different areas and you're trying to figure out the mystery of the nexus. So maybe that's some point in a movie or show, but since they put that plot in a game, I doubt it just to be honest. So we'll see, but moving on to number three, the mystery surrounding the aliens from the episode titled schisms. Yes. Easily one of star Trek's most underrated episodes of all time the next generation crew is abducted in the night by these mysterious alien creatures i mean who perform a series of grisly and just horrifying experiments and i mean they eventually led to the death of lieutenant Hagler. and i mean yes while commander Riker, i mean hero that he is is able to escape this pocket universe and close the rift behind him which was kind of enabling these abductions in the first place we actually don't learn anything about the creatures or their motives or anything like that. Instead, they just release a singular energy pulse that flies out of the ship and off into space, and we never hear about it again. And if you're wondering, is that really what happened? Yes. <laughs> so this is literally kind of a recap of what happened through like the last like 10 minutes of the episode. So it's like, sir, do you have any idea what came through the rupture before we were able to shut it down? 
no, we weren't able to track it once, you know, once it left. Maybe it was a probe. Maybe they were just curious. I don't know, guys. Um, we're just happy to be alive. Well, Hagler's dead. Well, whoever sent that thing, maybe just more than curious. I don't know. <laughs> so neither the Next Generation nor DS9 nor Voyager ever went back to the well on this one. And I think it would have been really great because it's a very odd kind of over-the-top villain. And I think it would have been really good to kind of see those uh, creatures' origin stories and even their motives explored a little bit more. So, all right, heading on to the last big two. And again, I have to preference this before I get into number two. We are not going to spoil anything in Picard. (laughs) And I'll try to keep that in mind because Picard season two does change some things. So we're not going to get into any of that. So as we move on to number two, it is the origin of the Borg. I think one of the most terrifying, and if like, to be quite honest, the most iconic enemy that Star Trek has, the fear behind it is really from the fact that we don't understand the Borg really at all. Like we have some idea, but we don't understand case in point, their exact origins, 100%. And of course, we know there's like the, the fear first introduced in the next generation episode is, is a way for Q to prove that humanity was not ready for the challenges out in space. It definitely worked. And since then, I mean, the Borg have become one of the most important founding parts of Star Trek. Um, I mean, just think about a single collective consciousness and it spans galaxies Trillions upon trillions of members all speak with a single voice and work towards a single purpose. I know, again, we we hashed that out a little bit in Picard Season 2, but it really didn't get down to the nitty-gritty of the origin of the Borg and exactly how they were created, where they came from. Was it a group of people that wanted this kind of perfection and so they decided to create cyborgs and then just... And kind of like almost as like a cult added people and then it got out of hand and it got trillions and trillions. Like, we just don't know. And I don't think we should know, to be honest. I think it, it's better when they have that kind of level of mystery and fear to the Borg. And it should be kept that way. Hot take. <laughs> okay, so our final mystery that's kind of left unsolved. But this is the one that I was like, this has to be number one because... Ever from like years, like 10, 15 years ago when I started getting into Star Trek, I was like, this is the one I want to see. This is what needs to be answered. And it's on Guinan and Q. So arguably, these are the two most mysterious characters to ever appear in, of course, TNG and Star Trek in general. But not only that, the mystery of Guinan and Q themselves, but the mystery with their history. (laughs) That's a good tagline. Um, the mystery with their history. So they have a history all their own. So a little bit about Guinan Q. Um, so for Guinan, um, she's kind of, you know, serving as the ship's bartender. And she was an Al- Algerian, 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 is that right, Luna? <laughs> Algerian refugee who was actually rescued from the destruction of the Nexus by the Federation following the board destruction of her homeworld. And of course, Q is this kind of near complete omnipotent being who just likes messing with Picard and the crews of the Enterprise and Voyager. But in season two of The Next Generation, a chance encounter between these two 
actually see like hostilities go off the chart and they kind of like take these like weird claw defenses and they look like like two cats that are about to fight it's <laughs> the best way to describe it um and q actually offered a very very curious phrase to picard he says picard if you have half the sense you pretend to have you would get it off your ship immediately and if you like i have been more than pleased to expedite her departure this creature is not what she appears to be she's an imp and where she goes trouble always follows now, given the respective powers of both Q and Guinan, I think an exploration of what led to this, like mutual animosity, would be super fascinating. It would be super interesting, especially for like us long-term fans. And on a personal note, I would just like to know what it is that Guinan can do that, you know, with Q's level of power, would allow him to kind of like tread lightly around her. Like, you know, he's this guy that can go anywhere, travel any place has almost like omnipotent power you what does this lady have that can mess with him who knows that's a fascinating so that has been the 10 biggest star trek mysteries and loose threads that we don't have answers to i mean we do a little bit some you know with like ro lauren and wesley crusher but nothing really concrete and i would love to get answers to these whether through a comic whether through another show, potentially. I think, why not? <laughs> I think it'd be great. But we'll, we should see, and I think it's sometimes mysteries are best left unsolved. But in this case, with these 10, I'd definitely like to know the answer. All right, Luna, let's roll out. All right, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And always remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for your warm regards on the Christmas episode. We we definitely love the feedback we got. And as always, please check out www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com for all your entertainment needs. And he just did the Avatar, The Way of the Water review. Please check that out. I've heard it's good. I still need to see it. Apparently, Kate Winslet hold her breath for seven minutes or something crazy. So... <laughs> Please check that out if you can. And as always, in this pivotal time of holiday and stress, and just remember to take some time to yourself, whether that's going away to part of the house that nobody's at, taking you know a shower or bath to kind of de-stress the mind, going on a run, working out, whatever it is, please remember mental health is important, especially during the holiday season. And always remember, second start of the right, straight on to morning.